the next level. Halloween. The festival of Samhain. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago when the hills ran red with the blood of animals and children. Sacrifices are part of our world. Our craft. Witchcraft. To us, it was a way of controlling our environment. It's not so different now. It's time again. In the end, we don't decide these things, you know. The planets do. They're in alignment. And it's time again. The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. And... Happy Halloween. material that may not be suitable for all viewers. Viewer discretion is advised. If it goes on, it means the death of millions of people. Everyone listening, don't you understand that? Well, we'll say it's a bomb then. Say whatever you want. Just get it off the internet. Please, you just... No, no, I can't prove it. You gotta believe me. Believe me. Take it off the internet now, please. You've got to. It, The Podcast Zero, it's still on. Please, take off the Podcast Zero. The Podcast Zero, it's still running. Stop it, please. For God's sake, please stop it. There's no more time. Please stop it. Stop it now. Turn it off. Stop it. Too late. Now you've done it. Now you must be forced to endure through the Halloween edition of the Studio Zero production and part of the Next Level Network. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Starring your beloved Samhain Master of Ceremonies, Postmortem Paul. Welcome back to What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. And happy Halloween, everyone. Sure, for some of us, it's Halloween every day. <laughs> Me included. 
But, you know, honestly, why should that stop us from enjoying this time of the year any less? We too can celebrate the, the spirit of the great harvest hootenanny as goblins, ghouls, witches, or slut-tired nurses and douchebag generic costume wearers looking, you know, score at the local shithole bar. But then, you know, insults and sarcastic jabs aside, we can also celebrate the season with, I don't know, maybe a fun podcast episode like the one I brewed up for you all today. Seriously, I'm going to catch flack for this one. But, hey, fuck it. It's episode 60, and it's almost time. Time for the big horathon. And wait for the big giveaway at the end. I'm kidding. And silver shamrock masks. You know, the sequel that, you know, might be more polarizing than The Last Jedi from the Star Wars saga. Yeah, today we'll be lighting a jack-o'-lantern in tribute to one of the festive films of fright. And delight for some of us. The feature of the week, yes, as you've probably figured it out, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. But first... That's right, kids. Joe Bob Briggs came back to Shudder. Another last drive-in special. Yep. Halloween Hootenanny. So, yeah, this past Friday, uh, what was it, October 25th, to mark the date. Um, anyways, they did, uh, Shudder gave us a three-movie marathon. They were doing um, Halloween, 1978, Halloween 4, and Halloween 5. And Joe Bob and Darcy came back to, you know, enlighten us with their knowledge. And, you know, Darcy was in good form with the cosplays again. It was kind of funny because they had this thing going on. For those of you who didn't see it, um, they had this thing going on where Joe Bob wanted to have the Halloween Hootenanny be representative of the Day of the Dead celebration in Mexico. And Darcy, on the other hand, is like, no, 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 no. Hold on a second. This is a Halloween Hootenanny Let's make it all Halloween-y. Even though Joe Bob is sitting there wearing this, like, suit jacket. It's got, like, jack-o'-lantern faces all over it and whatnot. But, so anyways, it starts off and Darcy's dressed as a pumpkin. kind of cute as a pumpkin, actually. But, um, as the night went on, she kept changing her cosplays. At one point, she was dressed up as Laurie Strode. Uh, her best cosplay, though, was when she was Tom Atkins from Halloween 3. Which, okay, so, Halloween 3... The licensing rights for that are owned by HBO. And I guess even Shudder tried to work out a deal with HBO to get the movie, but that never happened. So Darcy let it be known that she was pissed off about it. <laughs> it's pretty funny, actually. Um, and I mean, okay, for those of you who know and those of you who don't know, Joe Bob Briggs has made it pretty clear he does not like Halloween 3. He is not a fan of it. He's he's in that that part of the argument that is no Michael Myers, it's not Halloween. And plus, I guess he just doesn't like the movie. But even he 
wants to have it as part of the last driving. He feels there's a lot to talk about. He feels it would it would help, you know, make for a good Halloween marathon. And HBO's like basically, uh-uh, nope. I mean, Darcy even tweeted on um, on Twitter today. Uh, I'm recording this Monday, so she wrote on there though that they did talk to HBO and HBO was having none of it. So, anyways, there. Oh, and, Keeping in with the Halloween 3, um, there was actually a part in the marathon where Tom Atkins called in and basically threatened Joe Bob that if he didn't have Halloween 3, he was going to kick his ass. It was kind of, it was actually really funny. Um, I was actually excited on uh, the 25th. I got home from work in the morning. I knew I had the night off. So I was posting all over social media that, you know, I got to watch Halloween Hootenanny live at 9 o'clock on, you know, Friday night. And I tweeted, you know, oh, this is so awesome. Joe Bob and Darcy are back. And Darcy actually retweeted me. And with a little Futurama, like, gif, uh, it was basically, yeah, we're back kind of thing. And I was like, oh, man, that just made my fucking day. So (laughs) that was kind of cool. On the same day as well, on Joe Bob's Facebook account, it was announced that December 13th, we're getting another marathon. And this time it will be a red Christmas marathon. We did a Christmas one last year, uh, but it was like the four Phantasm films. And apparently Darcy's already kind of hinted on Twitter that uh, this year it'll be more Christmas related. So it was also hinted something... uh, I believe Joe Bob said it during the, the Halloween Hootenanny Marathon that something about being in Canada. So I'm like kind of like fingers crossed hoping that they show, you know, the original Black Christmas as part of the marathon because Shudder does have the rights to that Black Christmas. It's on there and so it'd be nice to have that added. But anyways, just wanted to kind of, you know, talk about that just really quickly it was an awesome marathon for the, if you got to see it I'm, I'm hoping you agree with me on that it was really good would have been kind of cool if we could have had Halloween 2 and Halloween 3 as part of it as well um, I'm not going to lie near the end of Halloween 5 I was really fighting against the sleep <laughs> it was like I wanted to pass out because Halloween 5 is really not a good movie I'll watch it don't get me wrong. If I decide I'm going to marathon the movies, I will watch it. Um, it's got some cool factors to it, but I don't know. Tina's fucking annoying. I don't like that character. Um, very annoying in that movie. And we all know about the mask. I mean, obviously, <laughs> it's not a good mask. Um, I mean, the, the mask in Curse of Michael Myers is even better than that one. So, I uh. But anyways, yeah, the Joe Bob Marathon happened. It was awesome. It was good to have him back on Shudder. And looking forward to December 13th now when we get our Red Christmas Marathon. Moving on, just uh, a few little pointers I just want to hit up on, and then we'll get into the meat of the episode. So there's been some news regarding Terrifier 2. Um, Art the Clown will be seen again in Terrifier 2 which is the movie they're promising to be bigger, gorier, and crazier than the first. They've already cast their lead female, uh, Lauren Lavera, from the movie Clinton Road, will be uh, the sequel's uh, female lead. But over this weekend, or actually it was early, it 
about midweek to the later part of the week. Anyways, it was announced, um, Felissa Rose from Sleepaway Camp, she will be in Terrifier 2, so that's pretty fucking cool. Uh, they've also added uh, Jason Lively from Night of the Creeps and Tamara Glynn from Halloween 5. Go figure. Uh, but anyways, they're getting... The, it, Damien Leone's getting some big names for this movie, so uh, it, it's it's sounding like it's going to be pretty good. Apparently, the, the synopsis we've been given so far is that after being resurrected by a sinister entity... Art the Clown returns to Miles County, where he must hunt down and destroy a teenage girl and her younger brother on Halloween. They're looking at a release date of October 2020, so this time next year, we may have Terrifier 2, so that's pretty cool. Uh, Another sequel kind of news that uh, was recently reported, uh, Trick or Treat 2. So yeah, it's been 10 years since we had the last Trick or Treat movie. Um, with, you know, little Halloween icon there, Sam. Um, anyways, that movie has a huge fan base. And back in 2013, they originally had said a sequel was on its way. But we haven't seen a sequel yet. So, Bloody Disgusting had posted an article about it, you know, basically asking what was the latest news on this, you know, Trick or Treat 2 sequel. And I guess it was comicbookmovie.com that actually talked to Michael Doherty about it. And basically he was saying, you know, it's typical of this time of the year. Every year and in October he gets asked, when's the, when's the sequel coming? Uh, you know, and he, he basically was telling people, like, it's been, a, it's been a few years since it's even been talked about. And there was a regime change, uh, you know with the with the studio with legendary i was trying to remember the studio's name with legendary they, they've had a regime change um they still basically own the property but a lot has changed between you know when the original film came out and today the one thing that i thought was kind of interesting though and, and this is something that to a degree i kind of agree with him on it was and i'm gonna read you his exact quote Uh, Michael Doherty basically said at the same time I think there's something to be said about not sequelizing it in a business that is obsessed with franchising and spin-offs and prequels and sequels maybe there's something to be said about leaving it alone and I kind of agree with that yes I it would be awesome to have a trick-or-treat too and especially if it's all the original creators writers directors well director um but like Everyone that was involved in the first one, if they're returning for the second, that would be great. But he's kind of right. This The horror genre is so focused on franchising everything and making... Even talking about today's film, when I actually explain some things about Halloween 3, it's going to kind of make you wonder, like, should we have continued with all these damn sequels? Sometimes it's better to just let a movie sit and leave it be. Let it be its own. Last week's episode on Beetlejuice was a perfect example of that. Sometimes it's just better leaving it alone. I'm going to quickly give you a Lurker's recommendation. This is kind of a different one. It's um, it's an account I want to uh, reference. 
and you know kind of bring awareness to it because it's very interesting um so there's a social media account known as nostalgia video and it's uh it's a guy he's got and he's got accounts on facebook instagram and he has a youtube uh video channel it's a great account the guy is awesome to talk to i've talked to him a couple times uh he's been currently making these um they're like vhs artwork but for movies that came out after vhs was quote unquote dead so he's done like um uh what did he do he did rocky balboa uh rob zombies halloween the evil dead remake stuff like that he's been doing those and he did a really cool looking reanimator one which came with a green vhs tape the tapes are blank but like he said people can easily you know transfer the movies onto these or if they have a copy of it that's kind of beat up or whatever just switch the the reels over or whatever um but i had talked to him because i wanted the reanimator one but he kind of he kind of wasn't shipping to canada and it, it was it was really cool though because he he did say to me you know like if you are seriously interested, let me know, and we'll see if we can work something out and whatnot. Uh, I haven't gotten back to him on that yet. It's something I'm still considering, but I wanted to bring attention to it because he's been starting, like, his his project that he put together has now been starting to get attention from other social media accounts. Basically, what he did is he converted his basement to look like the inside of a blockbuster video and it is freaking amazing it is so awesome and he's he, this dude's got like thousands of tapes like he makes me jealous like i've got two bookcases filled with vhs tapes and i don't even come close to the amount of tapes he has and he's got like every movie that i still need uh just recently he posted um it was Killer Clowns from Outer Space, and then he had two tapes underneath it, which was Society and Spookies. And I need all three still. And I was like, oh, man, like, shit, I'm so jealous of you right now. <laughs> but I wanted to bring attention to that because it's a really cool account, and I think a lot of people would really enjoy to see how he's basically remade his basement into his own video store. It looks really awesome. Uh, like I said, you can find him on Facebook, Instagram and there's a YouTube video channel which he's got videos of like what it looks like down there and it, it's mind blowing it's really awesome so I wanted to just mention that quickly because now it's time it's almost time kids it's time turn on your TVs at 9pm make sure to be wearing your mask because we're going to fry your fucking brains and blow your fucking head off and we're going to have bugs crawling out and shit no, they don't actually explode heads. I don't think so, anyways. I mean, we don't really see what's going on under the mask, but... I don't know. There's that one. Well, I'll talk about it when we get to it. Let's put it that way. So, we're going to do what we do. Trailer drop. And when we come back, as I've been calling it lately, a shared podcast experience of me talking about the movie that... Probably a lot of people are going to be pissed off I decided to review this one. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch back in a moment you don't really know much about halloween witchcraft the last great one took place three thousand years ago when the hills ran red halloween the dead might be looking in stop it the world's going to change tonight doctor happy halloween 
Halloween 3. Season of the Witch, The Night No One Comes Home. Rated R. Now playing at a theater near you. Okay, so the safest way to do this is to preface this now. Yes, I am well aware of the hatred that this movie gets. I don't care. This movie is one that I've wanted to review for a while, and I was saving for this exact month. So, I'm doing this. This is my Halloween edition of What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. This is a fun, festive time for all us ghouls and boils and all us, you know, freaks of nature and everything else that society has fucking called us. And I'm having fun with this episode. I have no clue what I'm actually even talking about right now. I'm just kind of like trying to make it sound like, like I have a purpose for this. But, yeah, the purpose for this is to talk about this fucking movie and to show that there's some interesting things to learn about it, whether or not you like the movie. So, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, was released October 22nd, 1982, which, if I had actually been smarter, last week's episode was released on October 22nd. I should have actually done this movie last week. But, anyways, it is what it is. Happy Halloween, everyone. The movie was written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, and this was his directing debut. He also has done movies like Fright Night Part 2, and um, most famously is known for Stephen King's It, as well as he also did the movie Vampires Los Muertos, and he wrote the screenplay for Amityville 2 The Possession, which if you've ever seen that, that's a bizarre movie. Um... He was also, this is kind of interesting, he was uh, uncredited as one of the actors in the first Halloween to play The Shape, a.k.a. Michael Myers. They, apparently, they had a lot of people dressed up as Michael Myers. It wasn't just Nick Castle and Tony Moran, but, I mean, and, you know, Tommy Lee Wallace was one of them, so kind of interesting. Uh, in terms of writers, there was also two uncredited writers, John Carpenter being one of them. Most people know that. The other was Nigel Neal. And the reason why Nigel Neal was uncredited was they did some revisions to his screenplay. He didn't like, like, he wanted a film that was more psychological and less physical. He didn't want blood and gore. When they did the revisions, they added some gore, they added effects and whatnot, kind of, you know, made some changes to what he thought was the perfect psychological thriller. So when he saw what it was going to become, he wanted his name taken off the credits. Each to their own, man. It's his choice, so whatever. Um, the film was produced by John Carpenter, Deborah Hill, Erwin Yablons, Dino De Laurentiis and Mustafa Akkad and I mean uh, all of these names should be pretty famous to you guys like especially if you know the Halloween uh, you know franchise I guess is the best word I, I, I was going to call it a saga but it's not really a saga that's a, that's a Star Wars thing this is it's a Halloween franchise uh, cinematography by Dean Cundy uh, he's worked on a lot of films. I wrote a few of them down, but he, he done a lot of work. Uh, Satan's Cheerleaders, Halloween, Rock and Roll High School, The Fog, Escape from New York, Halloween 2, The Thing, uh, the John Carpenter's version, obviously, Psycho 2, Romancing the Stone. He did all three Back to the Future films. Uh, 
Big Trouble in Little China, Project X, and that's the one with Matthew Broderick. Uh, not that there was one that came out years later. It's not that one. It's the Matthew Broderick one. Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Roadhouse, etc., etc. You get the point. He's done a lot of work. Uh, moving on to music. Now, the music, and you're hearing it in the background right now, the music is obviously a John Carpenter score. Um, he worked with Alan Haworth, though, on this one. Um, John Carpenter basically did the first Halloween by himself, and then uh, Halloween 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 uh, was a lot of Alan Haworth. I mean, John Carpenter did... Two and three, I think. I don't think he worked on four, five, and six because that was pretty much when he dipped out of the franchise. He was like, I'm done with this. Uh, it's time to move on to something else. But um, So Alan did four, five, and six by himself. But the first three, like I said, Jack Carpenter did the first one and then Alan Howarth helped him on Halloween two and three. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Alan Howarth also worked on Prince of Darkness. Big Trouble in Little China, Christine, The Dentist, The Dentist 2, and The Omega Code, just to name a few. The special effects department is pretty much... Uh, special effects was done by William Aldridge and John G. Bellew. Um, I mentioned that because some of the, the effects in this movie are actually pretty cool, especially when we got the kid with the... You know, that his head's like rotting or exploding or something on the inside and then the bugs start to come out and whatnot. that looks kind of cool and there's uh, Marge's death which I'll get into in a bit But um, so I wanted to mention them the stunts department uh, included Dick Warlock and the reason why I bring that up is Dick Warlock was also Michael Myers in Halloween 2 and to my knowledge he was pretty much Michael Myers for the full duration of that film on to our starring cast. A um, lot of names here. I tried to do this uh, as brief as possible. Just because it, there's a lot I have to talk about. So I, I didn't want to spend too much time. But there's a bit here. Anyways. Starting with Tom Atkins. I mean, it's pretty much... He's the main star of this movie. He, he's, he, he rolls with it. Let's put it that way. He plays Dr. Dan Chalice. Uh, he's worked in a lot of John Carpenter films, but he's worked in other films as well. Uh, he's, movies like The Fog, which in The Fog, he played a character named Nick Castle. Kind of interesting. <laughs> um, Escape from New York, The Ninth Configuration, that's a William Blatty film, or, well, William Blatty story, whatever. Um, Creep Show, The New Kids, uh, Night of the Creeps, obviously. Lethal Weapon, Two Evil Eyes, and he was in the 2009 uh, remake version of My Bloody Val My Bloody Valentine. Stacy Nelkin as Ellie Grimbridge, and she's kind of cute. I'm not gonna lie, but she did a lot of TV work. Uh, really, this was one of her very few uh, films. Yeah, it, it, she was on TV shows like Eight Is Enough, The Waltons, The A Team. The Fall Guy, Murder, She Wrote, and The Twilight Zone. Uh, and again, a lot of this was like, you know, one one appearance, sometimes two appearances, and that was about it. Dan O'Herlihy. I believe I'm pronouncing his name right. He plays Connell Cochran in this. He's, he's, our, he's our antagonist. 
He was also in the film The Last Starfighter, which is a classic. He was uh, also in RoboCop and RoboCop 2. And again, another TV actor. He did a lot of TV work. Um, I wrote down some of the shows like he was in The Bionic Woman, uh, The Man from Uncle, Battle, Battlestar Galactica, and Twin Peaks. So, uh, but yeah, Last Starfighter. He, fuck, that's such a great movie. And Dan is great in this too. Like, don't get me wrong, but Last Starfighter. Hmm. That's a great flick. I will review that one day. I'm just letting you guys know that. Al Berry as Harry Grimbridge. He's uh, Ellie's father. He's the one. He's the one we see in the beginning of the film. He's holding the the pumpkin mask, and you know he's being chased and whatnot. He gets killed. Like fucking eyes get gouged in, and they like basically break his skull. It's it, it it's it's pretty. It's a pretty scene. Anyways, um. He also was in Last Starfighter, and he was also in Reanimator. That's awesome. Uh, again, uh, more TV than he did film. He was also in some uh, TV shows like The Incredible Hulk with Bill Bixby. Uh, he was on Dallas, uh, TJ Hooker, and Mad About You, which I believe Mad About You was his last credit as well. Nancy Kai's. I've heard it pronounced two different ways. So it's Nancy Kies or Nancy Keys. It's one or the other. Um, I've I've heard it pronounced both ways. Anyway, she plays Linda Chalice. She's uh, basically Tom Atkins' ex-wife in this. Uh, This was the first movie she went by the name uh, Nancy Kies because prior to that she was known as Nancy Loomis. And... Very short career, a lot of John Carpenter films. Uh, I think she had something like, I want to say it was like 13 acting credits or something. She did not have a lot, Um, but she was in Assault on Precinct 13, uh, The Sea Gypsies, Halloween, The Fog, and this movie. Um, And there was a few others, and that was it. Like She really didn't act for a long time, and she should have, because she was a good actress. Oh, great. I kind of already mentioned this, but I'm going to mention it again. Dick Warlock. He's one of the assassin androids. Now, obviously, Dick Warlock was, you know, mainly a stunt guy. He did a lot of stunts. Like, you look up his IMDb, his stunts is what is credited first because he's done so many of them. But he did do some acting. Um, They were either uncredited roles or very small roles, but he was in movies like When a Stranger Calls. Halloween 2, Firestarter, Commando, uh, the Omega Syndrome. He was in Spaceballs. The Spaceballs, he's actually, he plays that one guard that Bill Pullman tries to do the Vulcan neck bench thing, neck trick thing on him or whatever. And he's like, no, you got to do it up here. That was Dick Warlock. Um, He was also in Pumpkinhead, The Abyss, The Relic, and he was in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Jonathan Terry as Starker. He's the he's the guy that comes out. Hey man, uh, you know, can I get a drink from you, man? Like you know, he's that guy. Now, if the voice sounds familiar to you, because he looks a little different in this, but if the voice sounds familiar to you, he was in Return of the Living Dead and Return of the Living Dead Part Two, and in both films he played Colonel Glover. He was also in the movie Against All Odds, and he was in the movie Vacancy Two: The First Cut. 
but yeah, it it was weird because I remember when I was younger, like I found this out a while ago, but I remember when I was younger, I always used to think, why does his fucking voice sound so familiar? It's because he was in Return of the Living Dead. And I was like, ah, that's it. So, but I, I found that out. I don't want to say it was like a long time ago. It was about maybe three, four years ago. I put, you know, I put one and one together and I was like, oh shit, it's him. <laughs> um, so moving on though, Ralph Strait. Ralph Strait plays Buddy Kupfer. Uh, he passed away in 1992, and again, more of a TV actor. He had been on shows like The Incredible Hulk, The Dukes of Hazard, and The Beastmaster. But yeah, he passed away in 1992, so 10 years after this came out. Uh, Jadine Barber as Betty Kupfer. And by the way, the Kupfers are the are that family that they they meet in uh, Santa Mira that, like, you know, uh, basically uh, Cochran shows off what the masks can do by like, you know, basically killing this family and whatnot. So that's who the Cupfers are in case you're wondering. Anyways, this was her only major film role. Uh, she had also been on two TV shows, Beretta and the CBS summer playhouse. That's it. Uh, not a huge acting career whatsoever. Brad Schachter as buddy Cupfer jr. Uh, the one that though, again, not a lot of acting, uh, but the one credit that kind of stood out to me, he voiced Schroeder in the animated TV movie, It's an Adventure, Charlie Brown. So I thought that was kind of cool. Okay, Garn Stevens as Marge Goodman. And Marge is the one, she's laying in the bed, she notices the little uh, Silver Shamrock logo thing, and she starts tinkering with it, and it blows her mouth off. And it's really cool actually some cool graphics to it i know some people on have said that it looked kind of fake whatever it's a fucking horror movie come on but um pretty much her biggest acting gig was the tv series phyllis she played uh harriet hastings other than that again little small roles on tv some of them even like uncredited and whatnot um so i noticed that as i went further down the list of like the actors in this, a lot of them had not done much aside from this movie. So uh, Wendy Westberg is another one. She plays Teddy, who is like the nurse that is like, you know, researching and, and um, Dr. Chalice keeps calling her and like, have you found anything? Have you figured anything out? And all that stuff. That's her. Um, again, TV actress, but didn't do a whole lot. She was on shows like the greatest American hero and St. Elsewhere. Um, and finally, Michael Curry as Rafferty. Um, so Rafferty is basically like the the hotel owner, whatever. Um, he was in movies like Dead and Buried. That's uh, uh, is it 1981 that came out. I'd have to double check that. But that uh, Robert Englund's in that movie. I know that. Uh, Michael Curry was also in Firefox. He was in Airplane 2, uh, Sudden Impact, The Philadelphia Experiment, the Deadpool, not to be confused with that Ryan Reynolds film. No, this is The Deadpool with uh, Clint Eastwood, I believe, was in that. And G.I. Jane. The movie was rated R for language violence and sexual content. Uh, the runtime is 98 minutes. I've seen some places say 99 minutes, whatever. What's the difference of a minute? Uh, the budget for the film was $2.5 million. The gross box office profit was $14.4 million. So for a movie that so many people hate, it still did pretty good at the box office, considering they only spent $2.5 million on it. 
The synopsis for Halloween 3. Halloween 3 Season of the Witch is an entirely original new movie based on the idea of Halloween and using the title, but otherwise having nothing in common with the previous Halloween films. This one stars Tom Atkins, Stacey Nelkin, and Dan O'Herlihy in a story that features witchcraft, robots, and a diabolical plot to scare 50 million children to death. So put on your masks and get ready for a few hours of pure terror. Halloween is here again. Which it really tells you nothing about the movie when you actually think about it. Because the whole movie has to deal with like Stonehenge and the masks and all this other stuff. It never mentions any of that, but eh, whatever. It, I, I do like the fact, though, that the synopsis at least tells people it's completely original new idea that has nothing to do with Michael Myers. But still, and you know, when you actually watch the trailer and stuff like that, I'm surprised people were disappointed with this movie going in knowing that because the trailer surely like it, it, it shows you there's no Michael Myers in this, but eh, whatever. Notes. From the Silver Shamrock Factory. And I keep coming up with these weird little notes from thing, whatever. I don't know. I wrote down a lot. So I'm going to try and get through this as fast as possible without, like, you know, stuttering on my words. Because me stutter? <laughs> me get my tongue twisted? No, it never happens. I think it's already happened. But anyways. So... Before I start anything, before I say anything about this movie, I need to say this. Tom Atkins is the man. But at the same time, he's a jerk and a bit of an asshole, but he's a charismatic jerk. And I say that because, okay, what I like about his character is he's not perfect in any way. I mean, he drinks a lot. He, I'm assuming he's cheated on his wife. Or something, like his ex-wife, who is played by Annie from Halloween 1. But anyways, he's not a perfect guy. And you can you get that sense. And you also get the, the sense that, like, you know, his kids and his, his family come second to his job. And they, in some ways, come second to his drinking. But then, as the movie goes on, and... We start to find out what's going on in Santa Mira, and he starts to understand that there's something really big here at play. You do see that his heart is in the right place. And that's what I kind of like about his character is it seems very real to me. He's not he's not like your shiny, happy, you know, people kind of guy. Like he, he's not a perfect figure. He's not Captain America, you know, and I mean even Captain America made him mistakes, but whatever. My point is is that this is a very flawed character who at the at the end of the film is still trying to do the right thing. And I like that about it. Um, and like Stacey Nelkin, her character, you know, she's she's cute, but at the same time, she's smart. Like, you know, she does her her research. She's doing her own little private investigation because she wants to know what happened to her father. She wants to know why her father died and, and what has, what does it have to do with these masks and Santa Mira and what, what is going on with this? Like, so she's not stupid, you know? And I like that again, like 
showing that, you know, just because she was the eye candy of the film didn't mean she had to be, you know, dumb and the damsel in distress kind of thing. No, it's like, yeah, she gets captured at one point, but so does, you know, Dr. Chalice. So, I mean, it, I, I just like what they've done. I, I like what they did with the characters. And then Dan O'Hurley, well, I'm going to talk about him separately in a bit. Uh, moving on, though, with the idea of the movie, the movie is very quick-paced, uh, almost absurdly sometimes. Uh, because, like, especially within, like, the first... Well, okay, so the first, like, five or so minutes, you're kind of left wondering what the F is going on. And I don't even know why I'm censoring myself, but I think it's because I've noticed that the past couple episodes I've been really, like dropping the fuck bomb a lot because there i just said it again but whatever um no but it it seems like you're left very confused and then especially when we introduce the character dr chalice it's like it's just like point 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 move on like and there's there's very little exposition except done through like the tv and stuff like that which cinema sins would have a heyday with but i it, it doesn't take very long for the film to get going. And I, I, I like that. Um, some people have called this movie boring. I tend to be on the other side of that. I like, I like the fact that this is a very different film. And just so that I mention it, John Carpenter at his best yet again with the, with the score. This is a very iconic score. Just it clearly not as iconic as let's say, you know, like, Halloween. I mean, I, I think Halloween, uh, uh, the first Halloween is probably, without a doubt, John Carpenter's most iconic theme ever. But, I mean, this has still got some pretty cool themes and very haunting. It's very haunting score. I like, that's what I like about it. Um, little bit of differences, though. So, on the soundtrack, there's the, the, the silver shamrock like commercial song. I think they call it like the Halloween montage on the soundtrack. And John Carpenter does the voice for that in the movie. There's actually a few scenes where I, I think it's like on, uh, the one where it's like eight days to Halloween and seven days to Halloween. It's actually Tommy Lee Wallace doing the voice and you notice the difference. So I thought that was kind of cool. Like, um, cause when I was watching the movie, like, because I watched it last night and I, I was paying attention to a lot of details. And right away I was like, oh, the, you know, never really paid attention before, but that's not John Carpenter's voice. It's Tommy Lee Wallace. So, however, when we, when we see the promo on TV for John Carpenter's Halloween, because that's how, it, I'll explain that in a bit, but it basically that's how the movies were supposed to be linked was little eggs like that. But anyways... When we see the promo, it's John Carpenter's voice promoting it on the TV. So that was pretty interesting as well. Now, the idea of Santa Mira. So Santa Mira, this was interesting to me. And I thought I would share this because it's a fictional city. Santa Mira doesn't exist. However, the first time it was used was in the movie Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So... I almost get the feeling that that's where they got the idea from it. Like, like to, to name it Santa Mira is sort of like a nod to invasion of the body snatchers because in a way, Halloween three kind of takes a bit of that idea of the whole idea of like, you know, mindless, like zombie, like, you know, body snatching, so to speak. Like it, it, it kind of 
takes that idea and goes with it. So Santa Mira being the city that it takes place in, you know, for both films was kind of interesting. Not to mention Dean Koontz, his novel Phantoms takes place in Santa Mira. Uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man took place in Santa Mira. And, well, if you paid attention to Sharknado, they liked using Santa Mira for different things. I think in one of the movies, it was like the name of a boat or something like that. I don't know. But Santa Mira is a fictional city that originated in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So I mentioned about Annie from Halloween 1. (laughs) Interestingly enough, she's playing a character named Linda in this. She's Linda Chalice in this. Now, Linda was also a character from Halloween 1, but that was the character played by PJ Souls. And I thought this was totally cool. Yes, I intentionally threw the word totally in there. But it, it just it's kind of funny. I, I'm, I'm, again, paying attention to almost every detail I could last night because I was like, I've watched this movie so many times that I'm actually numb to a lot of this stuff. So it was like, all right, I actually have to really pay attention, not just like, watch it watch it but like like actually pay attention to shit and i'm like thinking about i'm like hmm okay so we have annie from halloween one is in this and she's playing a character named linda now who linda was in halloween one but played by pj souls and also something else that i was thinking about and you know we hear a lot about and you see a lot about it like you know with american horror story a lot of actors return for different seasons playing different roles this was kind of like doing that already like back in the 80s like how we brought back like nancy kais who is in halloween one was credited as nancy loomis brought her back to play a different role within the halloween franchise still and i I was thinking to myself i'm like that's very reminiscent of like what a lot of and, and obviously the CW shows are doing that with their crisis event. They're bringing back all these actors who have been in previous uh, shows and whatnot. But the idea of because Halloween 3 was supposed to be the next story in a, in an anthology of films. And so we were able to bring back Nancy, give her a different role. And it's, ironically, she's playing now Linda. But... um. I wanted to bring this up because I thought this was kind of interesting because quick fun fact about Halloween one in Halloween one. Okay. So I know Michael Myers is like the, the famous name that's tied to Halloween, but actually at the end the the credits of Halloween one, he's, he's credited as the shape and you've heard me say that. And I, more times than not, I actually refer to him as the shape because I know that was his actual crediting. The word shape was used during the Salem witch trials, and it was used by the judges to describe specters or spirits that were accused of doing the, like, like they, they were the specters that took over the, the witches that were being accused for doing mischief or harming other people. So, again, we're, we're, we're talking about like this being like season of the witch, and the word the shape was used during the Salem witch trial. So again, Halloween one to Halloween three, it's small little links that kept them together, even though they were separate. 
I mean, because a lot of people are right away always go, well, there's no Michael Myers, so it's not even part of, it's not, it's, it's not an actual sequel. But John Carpenter, when he was trying to create Halloween 3, I mean, Halloween 2, he was very reluctant about even making. But he figured, okay, fine, I'll do Halloween 2 and I'm killing Michael Myers. Well, we saw how well that worked. But he killed Loomis, he killed Michael Myers, <laughs> and figured, okay, with Halloween 3, now we can do different things. And he was putting little, like, eggs and little links between Halloween 1 and Halloween 3. And the idea of the shape being something that, you know, referred to witches. And here, Halloween 3 is Season of the Witch. Um, and the idea of, okay, like, Santa Mira is considered, you know, an Irish-American town. So, do the Irish actually have Halloween links? I mean, because we all know that Halloween 5 was directed by someone from Sweden, and Sweden knows nothing about Halloween. So, <laughs> it's like, okay, so Santa Mira is an Irish-American town, and... Halloween, where does its origin come from? Well, it, the festival of Samhain, or Samhain. I always say Samhain, but it's Samhain. The The festival of Samhain uh, was from Ireland's Celtic past. It's, 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 and I, that's another thing too. That's what I really loved about Halloween 3, because in Halloween 2, Donald, Donald Pleasance, Sam Loomis, Calls it Sam Hain. It's not Sam Hain. It's Sawin. It's spelt Sam Hain, but it's pronounced Sawin. And again, it's it's a part of the Celtic past of Ireland. So the idea that Halloween Three is taking place in an Irish American town again, it actually makes sense. Sawin was um, a festival. It took place, you know, three thousand years ago. Uh, it basically, I'll quickly run through this. It had three distinct elements. Um, there was the fire festival that was, uh, celebrated on October 31st and it would carry on throughout the following day. So October 31st to November 1st was the fire festival of Samhain. Um, and what the whole idea of the flames was that they were, it, it was, um, they were uh, lit by druids and it was to like more or less like burn away the past. And when it was extinguished, it would bring in the new um, like it, it, it kind of had the same idea of New Year's Day, but it was done differently um, when it came to like the, the pagan aspect of it. It was to end their pastoral cycle, uh, which I wrote this down. Where is it here? Um a time when all crops would have been gathered and placed in storage for the long winter ahead and when livestock would be brought in from the fields and selected for slaughter or breeding. Uh, so basically, it was for their harvest. It was to uh, The idea of Halloween is to um, mark the end of their harvest. And at the same time, they kind of, because again, they kind of considered it like sort of like their New Year's Day kind of thing. It was... Um, for them, it was the last day of the year, the time when the souls of the departed would return to their former homes. Um, and the malevolent spirits were released from the other world and were visible to mankind. This was all like what Halloween was originally about. And it plays very well into Halloween three season of the witch. It also explains a lot of like the actual customs of Halloween. 
I, I shouldn't go here, but I'm going to anyways. The idea of Christmas, Christmas is not what it, we say it's to celebrate the birth of Christ, but Christ was not born on Christmas Day. He was born, I, here's where I show that I'm an atheist and I don't know this shit, but um, I don't remember the exact date, but he wasn't born on Christmas Day. And it's something that got, in, it, it got mingled in with the whole idea of the winter solstice, where Halloween Halloween is actually what is celebrated at the time it's supposed to. And it really, the whole idea of dressing up in costumes, not to be some slut-tard nurse that's trying to hit on some douchebag piece of shit in a bar, but the idea of like being creepy, being scary, to, to be part of the malevolent spirits that were around and whatnot, that is actually what Halloween was about. And Halloween 3 focuses on parts of that, while also in certain ways almost predicts the future. And I'm going to get into that in a bit. But the reason I bring that up is because we do see those cameras all around the town watching. Um, the part that made me laugh about this movie, and I find little things very giggle, giggle worthy in this, is, for example, when they're announcing the nine o'clock curfew and you see someone like bring in their cat, like, okay, so the cat has to obey the curfew as well. Like, what the hell is that? And then the next scene, we see a cat that looks like the same exact cat that we just brought into a house. So little things like that made me laugh. Um, in terms of the effects, I'll quickly, uh, I mentioned it already about Marge being the woman in bed that gets her face blasted off. Um, there's also the one, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Shit, uh, from Return of the Living Dead guy, uh, <laughs> because I'm striking a blank and I'm not going to look it up. Uh, but anyways, um, the colonel from Return of the Living Dead, um, Starker, he, he gets his head ripped off. And I mean, yeah, it looks a little phony, whatever. It was a low budget film. They, they spent $2.5 on this damn thing, okay? Like, whatever. Uh, one thing I thought was kind of cool about like Halloween 1, because that one was very low budget as well. All the girls, the clothes they're wearing are their actual clothes. Like, there was no costume design for that movie. So, I mean, that's the thing about these Halloween films, too. They're very low budget. Um, so, Connell Cochran, to me, and it's kind of weird because I, when I'm watching him, I see different elements of him that have been um, kind of borrowed for later things or earlier things as well. Like, I find his character... And how I wrote it down, with, and I know it's not going to do it justice, but how I kind of saw him is he's kind of like the Willy Wonka of Halloween masks in that like he's very proud of his factory and he's like he's showing it off as a tour and stuff like that. And it reminds me of like Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. But at the same time, then he's very vile and devious and we know he has some like greater plan. And as I was watching it, there's little things that go on in Halloween 3 that made me realize Stranger Things got a lot of their inspiration from this movie because like for example the idea of papa now ellie keeps referring to her father as papa and in stranger things like 11 refers to matthew modine's character as papa and dan o'herlihy also if you look at the way he's dressed in this movie matthew modine dressed very similarly in stranger things and then, I mean, obviously the idea of the synth score and whatnot, you know, the, the synthesizers and whatnot. But, I mean, that that's a throwback to so many different 80s movies. I mean, to say it pulled it strictly from Halloween 3 is like, mm, no. But, I mean, there there are some 
some themes in Halloween 3 that I've heard hints of that stuff in Stranger Things as well. But to get to the whole idea of Halloween 3 predicting the future. So there seems like there's a lot of foreshadowing to the world we live in today. Um, obviously the cameras, the cameras and the security, the, everybody is watching at all times. And I mean, we have in many of our major cities, there's cameras everywhere. There's also people with their damn cell phones that just can't put the stupid things down. Um, uh, Connell Cochran seems very much like a, a dictator type leader. And do I have to say more? I mean, come on, look at the world we live in. Um, but you keep in mind, like his minions, like everyone who follows in line is basically a robot, which met, we say that metaphorically, but in this movie, they're actually robots. Um, and if you don't conform, you must be dealt with. And the idea of children must be sacrificed in today's day. It, I know there's a lot that's out there to protect the children, but at the same time, it. In a lot of ways, society still frowns down on children. Like, we have children speaking up in public places and whatnot, and we still treat them like they're little kids. Like, and it, it, God forbid they speak against something that's been in place for so many hundreds of years. Like, let people be free. Let them think what they want. Let as I've always said, like, as long as you're not doing something completely dastardly and fucking evil, like killing people or, you know, rape and stuff like that, I mean, let people live and be different. Like, I, I don't understand what's this whole idea that we all must conform to a certain way of lifestyle. And the part that also kills me about this is kind of like the sadistic little joke behind the idea of the masks. It They're, they're run by, like, technological chips that will rot your brain and kill you. And in today's society, it seems like technology is rotting the... The creative mind, imagination is dying because everybody's referring to their smartphones. I even see it at the job that I work at. Everyone relies on the technology to do the thinking for them. Whatever happened to problem solving? Whatever happened to creativity? And this movie does hint on a lot of that stuff, as well as also making it shots at consumerism and, you know, you know, a, a lot of the, the crooked stuff that's going on in the world and whatnot. But... I was watching it like just in the idea of obviously this is no 1984. It's not some like great Orwellian like, you know, film or whatnot, but there were hints of that stuff like scattered throughout the movie. And I was like, it's very interesting. Um, so, and, and then of course, when, when the kid dies, um, you know, the, it, his head like melts or whatever it is, it's, doing inside the mask and then the bugs are coming out and whatnot. Again, we hear John Carpenter's voice in the commercial that's being played on the TV, the little promo thing that triggers off the chip. Um, but I do love the fact that this movie was not afraid to kill a kid. Um, and I say that very sarcastically and, and cynically, of course, but at the same time, I'm not saying go out and kill a kid, but I, because it was such a taboo thing in the film in, in movies that you know oh we don't kill kids and we don't kill animals and the funny thing about the the Halloween films Michael Myers is a dick to dogs he almost every movie he kills at least one dog at least within the first is it the first four or five like Michael Myers films that is I swear he kills a dog at least once um, and. 
they weren't afraid to do that. And with this movie, they weren't afraid to, you know, kill a kid. And I'm like, okay, that's that's pretty interesting. But again, it's the whole idea of sacrifice on the night of Samhain, you know, which again, I love that this movie properly pronounced that. Um, Ellie? <laughs> so we know Ellie dies. We know that Ellie has a robot that is created to look like her that is supposed to kill Dr. Chalice. I love when he basically dismantles robot Ellie because it reminds me of Ash from Alien, um, the the synthetic in Alien, like where the head is like detached and is still like twitching and stuff like that. And I noticed like a lot of like the robots in this or the androids or whatever you want to call them, when they die, it looks like they're spitting up like custard or something like that. And in Alien, they were all spitting up, well, all, there was one, Ash, and he was spitting up like that milky like fluid. I'm like, I guess the idea of just, you know, it being red blood, like, you know, we, we so we can distinct the fact between the humans and the robots. And so, I don't know. All in all, I, 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 the, the one thing that I really enjoyed also is how the movie ends where it started all of a sudden now instead of it being ellie's father who's running from you know the the santa mira assassins as i like to call them or whatever instead now it's dr chalice and he's running straight to the same gas station where that same guy is working and i'll you know and he's got to get on the phone and he's got to I, lo- I love the idea that like he he calls one number on the phone and that's going to cancel the commercial on every network airing it all at the same time. I don't think that's how that works, but I mean, it's kind of funny. I I like it for the whole idea of history is repeating itself though. How in the beginning of the film, it's, you know, Ellie's father that's running to that gas station. And now this time it's Dr. Chalice. Um, What I also enjoy about this is the fact that it ends on a cliffhanger. We really don't know how this movie ends. We know that we see Dr. Chalice like screaming, stop it, stop it, and, you know, whatnot. But we don't know. Did he actually stop it or not? Kind of like how the original Halloween ended with Michael Myers being shot six times. And then when Dr. Loomis looks, he's gone. I really, you know, the more I thought about it and in, in, in preparing for this review and whatnot, the more I was thinking about the the similarities between Halloween one and Halloween three and how both films ended on a cliffhanger. Halloween two never happens. For some reason, I'm getting the feeling that Halloween one would be so much more effective. Don't get me wrong. It is a very effective film and it has definitely jumpstarted many ideas within the horror genre because of it existing i am not taking away from halloween one halloween one is a is a perfect 10 in my eyes even with all its flaws but i'm thinking to myself also when i'm watching halloween three you take out halloween two and you go from halloween one to halloween three people might have accepted the idea of halloween being about halloween better than it being uh, than than the halloween franchise being about michael myers Halloween was never supposed to be about Michael Myers. It was supposed to be about the the holiday and giving us different stories that would interlink because that's what Halloween 3 did. That's why we had the promo of Halloween 1 on the TV and whatnot. And, you know, the idea of bringing Nancy Kyes back and, and giving her the name of Linda and just little hints and eggs like that. That's what 
Carpenter originally wanted. Now, the reception of this film, well, (laughs) needless to say, this is one of those films that is a love-it-hate-it movie. Either you love it or you hate it. There's very few that are in between. I mean, you get the odd person that will come along and say, well, if they didn't name it Halloween, but they just named it Season of the Witch, it would have been a better film. True and not true. Because again, like I said, Carpenter wanted to have an anthology of films about the holiday, about the celebration of Halloween, the celebration of Samhain. He did not intend it to be about Michael Myers. That's why in the credits he's named The Shape and not Michael Myers. Michael Myers when he was a kid, yes. But as an adult, he was The Shape, played by Nick Castle. Um, You know, and... I guess I can agree with the idea of if you take the name Halloween off the title, it might make people appreciate it more. But especially in the information era that we live in and now people now know the history of this, I don't think taking off Halloween at the beginning of the title is is necessary. I really don't. We now know what Carpenter wanted when he was doing this and just accept it for what it is. I mean, now, interestingly enough, watching the Halloween Hootenanny this past week, Darcy the Mail Girl called this her favorite of the Halloween series. She likes this one even better than the original Halloween. I'm not in agreement on that, but I can understand it. If it's a story that appeals to you more so than having the babysitter killer, then, hey, like, each to their own right because if you think about it if they had done this a little bit differently keep in mind halloween one was originally supposed to be called the babysitter murders so let's say that they had done this differently and halloween was halloween the babysitter murders or halloween the night he comes home and then the next one is halloween season of the witch and then we have another one that could have been i don't know fuck maybe halloween big trouble in little china you know what I mean? And granted, I know that didn't take place at Halloween, and I know I'm just, I'm throwing this out there as an idea that if if Halloween was the 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 first part of the title, but they each had a subtitle that you know would differentiate between the movies, there, it's it's not impossible to believe that the anthology idea would have worked because I don't know. I, I've got something I've got to. I'll, I'll mention in a minute. So I keep him keep that in mind because there's a, there's something I have to say about this. But both critically and publicly, this movie has been trashed upon. It has been shit on. It, <laughs> Halloween Five is the worst, actually, in the bunch. It, uh, commercially, co- like commercially, and you know, in terms of financial success, Halloween Five is the worst. Uh, no, none of the Halloween sequels did as poorly as Halloween five, but Halloween three might be the most polarizing of the sequels because like I said, it's a love it or hate it film. Um, and here's the thing. So when you talk about Halloween three with other horror fans and whatnot, it's not just in the way of let's have a sensible discussion about the pros and cons of the movie. No, it's more like, Pardon the expression, but you're a fucking semen-sucking piece of shitbag asshole if you like this or hate this movie. Um, people are mean when you talk about Halloween 3. Just just two days ago, I got told to shut the fuck up and go die because I like the movie. Like, 
people do not there's no such thing as as having a civil discussion about Halloween 3. Halloween 3 raises some fucking emotions. <laughs> it it again, tell me how social media is wonderful and a great tool for communication. It really isn't. But so I'm going to do this. I'm uh terms of ratings. So here's how it looks. Here's the landscape of ratings. IMDb has this at a 4.9 out of 10. So it's basically 0.1 tick less than half. Is more add point one to it. It's a five out of ten. Rotten Tomatoes, forty-two percent approval rating. That's with from critics. The audience score is a whopping twenty-seven percent. Yeesh. Fuck you, Rotten Tomatoes, and fuck you, users that fucking reviewed on there. Uh, the score from Metacritic is a fifty out of one hundred. It's right down the middle. Uh, but has a user score of 5.6 out of 10, so leaning more towards the positive than the negative. Google, 60% of Google users like this film. So, Felix Vasquez Jr. of Cinema Crazed, and here's where I was about to go, and then I decided I would hold off on this thought for a sec. He said, it's no wonder they gave up after this and brought back Michael Myers. And he's referring to season season of the witch. He's saying it's no wonder they gave up and they brought back Michael Myers. Here's my issue with that. Okay, every goddamn sequel after three has been complained about to the end of time and back. And I'm not kidding. Like the hate is just as strong for those movies as it is for Halloween three. I mean, Halloween 4 maybe gets a bit of a pass, but people hate Halloween 5. They hate Halloween 6. H2O gets laughed at. Resurrection is a fucking disgrace amongst fans. And then there's the Rob Zombie Halloween uh, films that have caused quite an arousement of anger and hate as well. But Halloween 3 is the problem. Um... (sighs) Tell me how it's better that we brought back Michael Myers. People have bitched about the masks. People bitched about the Curse of Thorn. People bitched about Daniel Harris. Some, don't get me wrong, there's many that think, you know, it was a great start for her career too. I'm in agreement with that. I think Daniel Harris has gone down as, you know, one of the more prominent scream queens. Do I like all her movies? No, but I like quite a few of them. Um But to sit here and say that, you know, Halloween 3, you know, it's the reason that they brought back Michael Myers. Yeah, and when you did, people still bitched about that. So tell me where it was better. Maybe we should have continued to let John Carpenter's idea of an anthology continue and see where that went. But no, we brought back Michael Myers out of fear, like, oh, we'll never get people back in the theaters. And then Halloween 5 tanked so freaking bad that still, you, you didn't prove anything. Um I, I'm not gonna lie. I love the Michael Myers franchise. I love, I love the Michael Myers films. I'm, it, for me, they're a lot of fun. But I'll put Friday the Thirteenth higher than Halloween any day of the year. Like, I don't know. It's just as much as like as a fan. Like, I love these movies. I, I, I have the box set. I love the Halloween movies. I even have the producers producers cut of Halloween Six. I enjoy Halloween movies don't don't please don't misunderstand me when I'm saying all of this but it's just I've also witnessed because of social media how much hatred all the sequels get 
Halloween 2 gets hate. Halloween 3, Halloween 4, 5, 6, H2O, Resurrection. Um, even the 2018 film that just came out. I wasn't overly thrilled with it. I didn't hate it. I, I like watching it, but it did a lot of things that didn't feel like a direct sequel to 1978's Halloween. Other notable people, like Roger Ebert gave the movie 1.5 out of 4 stars. He didn't really find it very interesting. Vincent Cranby, the uh, no, Camby. Vincent Camby of the New York Times, surprisingly, actually liked it. He liked the direction Tommy Lee Wallace went with the movie, saying, Mr. Wallace clearly has a fondness for the cliches he is parodying, and he does it with style. That came from the New York Times. That's fucking impressive. Um, podcast Zero rating. So... I know I got to cut this short. I'm, I'm just babbling away here, but knowing the history of the idea of the anthology based, you know, string of movies Carpenter wanted to go, you know, with the Halloween franchise, knowing that Halloween wasn't supposed to be about Michael Myers, but about the holiday instead. Um, the effects, the effects are really decent. They're not the best, but they're not the worst. The story is quite amusing. Uh, despite its basic simplicity, really, when you think about it. I mean, sure, when, you know, Cochran's talking about the, the, the whole celebration of Samhain and how it, you know, it's been 3,000 years since we've had an actual celebration of it and whatnot. Yeah, okay, you know, it, it gets a little convoluted maybe, but it's pretty simple. They make masks because they want to kill kids for a sacrifice, you know, and they're using Stonehenge rocks to pull this off the Stonehenge thing kind of falls flat on me as well but whatever um kudos to the writing team for actually knowing the history of halloween instead of just writing up some bullshit like they actually know the history uh because when cochran gives that speech that you heard at the you know i i played a clip of it at the beginning of the episode he's actually giving a history lesson like you know it, it look it up google it Honestly, do it yourself. I'm not doing it for you. But <laughs> I've already told you a lot in this episode, so whatever. But um, if you think I'm cuckoo, Google it yourself. You'll, you'll see that it's it's there. Um, keeping on, though, with with my my rating on this, uh, I'm sure had this been marketed differently in 1982, uh, simpler minds wouldn't have lost their shit, like uh, half as much as they did. Uh, that said, though, Tom Atkins is a gem. Stacey Nelkin is, well, she's cute, but she's got a brain, and I like that about her. Uh, Dan O'Hurley, you know, playing Connell Cochran, he's not the best villain in that ever, but he's definitely there. And, of course, there's that jingle. You know what jingle I'm talking about. The happy, happy Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. That one? Yeah. It's catchy. It sticks in your fucking head. John Carpenter knew what he was doing. Eight and a half silver shamrocks out of ten. And so you know where this ranks on my list of the Halloween movies? This is actually my second favorite Halloween film. I know Darcy the male girl calls it her favorite. I call it my second favorite. Part one is still my ultimate favorite. Um, so basically my top three goes in the order of one, three, two. And yes, I do like Halloween too a lot. I'd probably go Halloween 4 after that, um, and Halloween 6. 
I, I skip right over five. H2O and Resurrection, they are what they are. I, whatever. The 2018 film, not the worst, but it didn't impress me like I hoped it would. Maybe these next two films, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, might. I don't know. We'll see. But, yeah, it's eight and a half silver shamrocks out of ten. And on that note, here we go. Thank you for listening, kids. I know I talked a lot this episode. This episode's probably a little bit longer than I wanted it to be, but eh, it is what it is. Um, basically, I'm just going to do what I do. Well, let's close this out. It, you know, I know there's some of you are probably ready to, like, you know, fucking put a silver shamrock mask on my head and watch, you know, bugs come out of my eyes and shit for talking about this movie. I love this movie. I, I, I really do. I would. VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray for this one. I, it, this is, and I, I admit when I was younger, I was more into the whole Michael Myers craze. It, this has been one of those films that, as I've gotten older, I've appreciated it more. But there was never a time when I didn't like it. I've always liked this movie, even like, you know, I had it dubbed off cable years ago, and you know, and then I found it in a jumbo video for like eight bucks, and I bought it and stuff like that. And I mean. Again, like, you know, uh, replaced my VHS, I want to say it was about maybe six months ago, and I was really happy to, you know, get a decent copy of it. It's, it's a really good copy, too. So, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Seriously, I, I, I know, like like I said earlier, I'm, I don't do these podcasts to change your mind. This is my opinion, this is my thoughts, but I love this movie. And I will continue to love it until the day I die. But on that note, where do you want to find this podcast, right? Um, Many different ways to stream it. Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, CastBox, FM Player, and it's home at the Next Level Network, thenextlevelnetwork.com slash podcast zero. Uh, You can also find the podcast at whatlurksbehindpodcastzero.com. If you want to email me, you can email me at whatlurksbehindpodcastzero at gmail.com. You can tell me what an idiot I am for doing Season of the Witch. Or you can agree with me and we can be kindred spirits um, if you'd like to go that route. Facebook, facebook.com slash whatlurksbehindpodcastzero. On Instagram, Instagram, it's at whatlurksbehindpodcastzero. It's very simple to find. On Twitter, at WLBpodcast underscore zero. And like I said many times before, the Redbubble store, you don't even have to worry about remembering how to like type it into your browser or anything like that. All you got to do is go to the Facebook page and click Shop Now, and it'll take you right to the store. And that's that. Um, next week, I'm taking a break. I won't be uh, recording next weekend. Um, just because I, I, I got a few things I want to do and get caught up on and whatnot. So next weekend I'll be taking a break, but I can say, I'm going to tell you this, this little secret between you and I, in the near future, I see an episode. I see an episode with Emily Perkins and Catherine Isabel. I see an episode about werewolves. Oh, maybe even some ginger snaps. Yes. It's coming. Um, On that note, though, we're going to close out the uh, episode with the song called Season of the Witch uh, by the uh, 
the classic artist known as Donovan, one of those one-namers, kind of like Madonna and Prince and and who else? I'm, wow, I always think of Madonna and Prince like right away. Um, what is it, Rihanna? There's another one, Beyonce. Although Beyonce used to be known as Beyonce Knowles, she just took that off near the end, like like when she went solo and whatnot. But we all know what her last name is. Well, of course we know what Madonna's last name is. Whatever, you get you get my point. Donovan, Season of the Witch. It's a catchy tune, and it's a good way to close out this episode. So, time for me to shut up. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back in a couple weeks. When I look out my window Many sights to see And when I look in my window so many different people to be That it's strange So strange You got to pick up every stitch You got to pick up every stitch You got to pick up every stitch Must be the season of the witch Must be the season of the witch, yeah Must be the season of the witch When I look over my shoulder What do you think I see? Cat looking over his shoulder at me, and he's strange. Sure, is strange. You got to pick up every stitch, you got to pick up every stitch. Yeah, beat makes out to make it. Oh no, must be
when I look out my window. What do you think I see? And when I look in my window, so many different people to be. It's strange. 